1: Not only do you upgrade to FAIR, you're also joining a reliable network you can trust to have your back. No hidden requirements, no activation fees. Now that's FAIR. Learn more at uscellular.com.
2: Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Editor-at-Large of Recode. You may know me as Katie Couric's biggest fan, but in my spare time, I'm just a reporter and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about power change and the people you need to know. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair is one of my favorite people, Katie Couric, who has been on this show before. She's the host of the podcast, Next Question, and Back to Biz, and I've been on both of those shows. She's also working with Time Magazine on a new video series about the human side of the COVID-19 crisis. And of course, she's the former anchor of the CBS Evening News and co-anchor of the Today Show, but you knew that already. Katie, welcome back to Rico Decode.
3: Hi Kara, how I'm you doing? Happy to be
2: with you. I know we like to we like to mix it up, Katie. Curry. You know,
3: and, and and the nice thing is we really like each other. Which yes, is we nice, do. Right?
2: Except when we don't. Yes. No, you love, <laughs> love each other. No, we actually yeah. are very supportive. You're very supportive. That's one of the best things about you, uh, Katie. You're so supportive. Um, so uh, so let's get into it. I mean, right now is such a you know you're working on something about COVID nineteen, but COVID nineteen was like a week ago. Um, yeah. and Things have happened. I just oh want my God, to sort the of the news cycle. The new cycle just is unbelievable, crazy. Isn't um, it? It is. It's an. It's interesting. I'd love to talk about how you think about how to cover that and how the coverage has gone. But talk to me a little bit about. You know, you're we're in this COVID nineteen thing. You're working on something about sort of life afterwards, and you have this back to biz is about that idea of how do we get back to a thing. So you have a podcast back to biz about back to biz after COVID. Now it's after this too. So talk a little bit about how you're looking at it as a as a journalist.
3: Well, it's amazing, Kara. As you mentioned, you know the news cycle. It just seemed to undergo appropriately this massive shift um, where so much focus appropriately was focused on this horrific murder of George Floyd. and it seemed to just shift everyone's attention mm-hmm. just immediately towards racial injustice. And you know it, it's it's to me a very inspiring time because I think that the, the eyes of the nation are on this issue really in in such a profound way that I've never really seen in my lifetime. I guess I've seen it periodically with Rodney King King. when I first came to The Today Show. You know, I think about Rodney King and obviously everybody was focused on that. But this feels different. I think most people we talk to, and I don't know, care about your conversations, but most people I talk to, black and white, say it feels different this time. It feels like that something is going to change, that something is going to happen, that everyone almost, obviously there's some exceptions and it's probably because of what I'm, uh, I, what's incoming in my newsfeed and what I'm, you know, as part of my my news consumption habits. But you know, so we we actually have shifted. And and I interviewed uh, Reverend William Barber yesterday for for this time series. I had met him when I did a story when I was at Yahoo in North Carolina about um, this young man named uh, Lennon Lacey, who was found hanging from a swing set, but his shoes were not his shoes. The belt, his parents didn't recognize the belt that was used. And i had read a piece in The Guardian about it, and I said to my editors at Yahoo, I'd really like to go to North Carolina and do this story. So I had interviewed Reverend Barber for that. So yesterday I interviewed him because he's such an important uh, voice, not only for Black Americans, but for poor people everywhere. You know, he's doing a whole march that's now going to be virtual on June 20th, and um I'm using my platform to to try to continue the conversation to try to help not only educate myself, but educate my followers, because I think people are really, really receptive and open to learning. I was thinking about this hour I did on Confederate statues three years ago, Kara, and You know, I was disappointed because I didn't feel like enough people watched it. But it really traced the lost cause narrative and and why Confederate statues were so offensive. Because growing up in Northern Virginia, you know, I lived near Lee Highway. You know, we had so many schools named after Confederate officers and— And I really wanted to dig into the lost cause narrative and find out why these were so deeply and profoundly offensive. I went to Charlottesville. I was at the so-called Unite the Right rally. So I feel like people are very receptive. So I'm I'm taking segments of that and posting it so people can hear the very eloquent Brian Stevenson talking about how we have never come to terms with our with our history with the history of lynching with the history of slavery unlike places like South Africa and unlike places like Germany where they have consciously rewritten their nation's narrative and this country has never really done that and hopefully now is a time where a good faith effort really will be made to help people understand our history, because I think that's part of the problem, Kara. People don't, really understand well, they haven't I, been properly educated it's
2: a memory hole thing i think it i think americans have the deepest memory hole of any country which is a good thing sometimes but it's often a forgetfulness about what happened what do you what mean happened. by memory hole well that they do, they don't remember what happened last week now and by because of social media and other issues it's now accelerated i mean like you look at someone like donald trump with all the things he'd done you're like oh shithole countries oh you know, Charlottesville, like I, of course, mm-hmm. I remember it, but you don't remember. And that's just recently. I think a lot of our
3: history around, I think we, the way we've taught it or. Oh, that, or, I think that, I think you yeah. really hit the nail on right. the head. I think mm-hmm. the way that history has been taught in this country needs a serious reevaluation. You know, Howard Zinn teaches history from the point of view of the press, not the oppressors. And, you know, I think that. Growing up in Virginia, the way I was taught history was very, very different than the way it should be. And, you know, there are certain textbooks in Texas uh, where they won't allow a different point of view for history. So we've gotten such a twisted and warped view. Of history and, and when I tell my friends about the lost cause narrative, about when these statues were erected during the Jim Crow era, not immediately after the Civil War, but as a real FU to the federal government, when all these schools were named after Confederate officers, it was after Brown v. Board of Education. So I think when you understand the arc of history and the motivations of why and when and how these things happen, you have a much better understanding that you can make an informed you can have an informed opinion.
2: Right. So talk a little bit about that. You've done a lot. That when you did that, you were working for National Geographic. And I remember you put a lot into that. You were. You, oh, I my you gosh. I worked so hard, <laughs> on, I worked so that. hard on that series, yeah, you know. Yeah. And of course, now uh, the governor of Virginia is going to be taking down uh, some of the statues. Right. Just, in, Richmond, just, in Richmond, uh,
3: which which is a big deal because they have this whole avenue of statues and they have Arthur Ashe on there. But it doesn't really mitigate some of the more offensive statues. And, you know, I talked to Mitch Langer. I went to New Orleans. I went to Alabama. The governor of Alabama wouldn't speak to me, but they passed a law that said any statue that had been put up, I believe, before 1975, it would be against the law to take it down. So, you know, I talked to a state senator, Jefferson Davis, is on the, you know, on the grounds of the state capitol. I read him back some of his racist quotes and said, does this person deserve, I mean, does he represent all people? And you know, what's so interesting is how public squares really telegraph the values of a community. Mm-hmm. You know, they send a message. And if that message is, you know, venerating Robert E. Lee, that is not a mess, an inclusive message for, uh, you know, a diverse community. Right, absolutely. So let's but let's talk about what you're doing because you're working for National
2: Geographic, and you've had such a fascinating. We've talked about this for your, your your sort of arc uh, as a as an anchor of one of the biggest morning, the biggest right morning show. Uh, and then you went to run uh, to anchor uh, news programs at evening, and everything changed. And you went to Yahoo, and then you were doing National Geographic. Talk a little bit about what you're doing now and why you're you're. I, I, what I find, and then you have a you have a newsletter now and everything else. And I read the very lovely New York Times piece about you that was. Uh, Oh yeah. <laughs> that was a nice piece. Uh, that was a nice piece. <laughs> um you know also you had lovely I think strawberries around at the time but uh, what <laughs>
3: I think they were cherry tomatoes actually.
2: <laughs> I, I, you know when someone was when someone just asked me what you're like I said you know she's really restless but in a really interesting way. Like you were you've always been like compared to a lot of people of where you came from. You know exactly you know had 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 the course of the anchor um the journey of the anchor Talk a little bit about what you're doing now, but what, how what, how you make decisions on what you're going to do and be in the media.
3: Well, honestly, I really just want to work. I want to produce content that I think is important and meaningful and can help in some ways change hearts and minds, educate people, inform them, enlighten them. And so as the media landscape has changed, you know, I've tried to, ride the waves on the surfboard as best as i i i've been able to you know i i worked in network news i loved it i loved working on the today show cbs was challenging but i appreciate that that experience for a lot of different reasons yahoo was a big a big bet and a big risk and it didn't turn out the way i was hoping it would but having said that i learned a lot about Iterating content, putting it on platforms, how to make things discoverable, how to work with people. I think, you know, tech and media people, you know this better than anyone, Kara, are, you know, they have very different brains and very different passion. You right. know, what they care about deep, deep within them is just di- almost diametrically opposed, they are I think, in some cases, which I which I found fascinating because, you know, you think who doesn't want to tell good stories? Who doesn't want to educate people? But that's mm-hmm. just not what necessarily drives people right. in these on these big tech platforms. So I learned a lot about that. And then, you know, I thought, gosh, I had done gender revolution for National Geographic. I love to take complicated topics and try to unpack them, which is a way overused word like authentic. But I try to kind of unravel them so people can understand them better. Because I think we're living in such a transformational time, it's very confusing for people. You know, I'm 63 years old. I grew up with a certain set of attitudes and values and perspectives with people around me. And now there have been these massive social and economic shifts. And I'm trying to navigate them as I navigate them as a journalist. I like to help other, you know, I, I, I like to pe- bring people along for the ride. So when I have this opportunity to do the six hour series for Nat Geo, I jumped at it because I said, I want to take these big issues and help people understand them. I didn't feel like it was happening enough on traditional television. And and it was almost like white papers, right? Like they used to do, uh, you know, Harvest of Shame or white papers on NBC where they would take these big issues and there weren't as many options. And a lot of people watched them, even though they probably felt a little like spinach. So I was excited to tackle topics like, as you know, tech addiction and what what it was doing to us. Why
2: early to that, you know,
3: Muslims in America and the narrative that has portrayed them in such an unfair negative light. I did white anxiety. I went to middle America and talked to people about our changing demographics and how unsettled that has made many people feel. And not only that, the decline of unions, the transformation from a manufacturing to a technological economy. And, you know, and, and I I did political correctness on college campuses and cultural appropriation, all these new buzzwords that young people are so steeped in. And I'm so excited about that. But for people who are a little bit older, it's kind of new. And it's a bit, you know, you have to you have to help people understand some of these things. Right, And And so I was really excited to do it. And I'm so proud of them that I, you know, I just feel like it's some of the best work I've ever done. I hope some people have watched. And if not, you can see them on yeah. Hulu. <laughs> so
2: getting to that, you know, because they really were, they were very substantive things. You have missed the old giant audience that you had before. Not that you had a giant, it was a giant audience right. for everybody. And, you know, you were best known probably, I don't know if you'd agree with this, for the Sarah Palin interview, obviously. Right. But that had well, some resonance lot, and impact. Yeah. yeah, a lot. But you can you can tell me what you think is most important. But that one went out to everybody. Can that mm-hmm. happen anymore? Like when you are you're someone, that was, one of the most impactful and
3: widely watched interviews so probably of all time. You know, I think it can I you know it's interesting because many more people saw that online than ever mm-hmm. saw it on the CBS Evening right. News. Right. Um and it went, you know, viral before anybody right. used that word. Yeah, we gotta get and, rid of that word now. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it 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 was seen by by millions of people. And I think um, you know, then it got amplified on networks. That's why the most memorable exchange was about what what books and magazines and newspapers do you read to help establish your worldview? When there were so many other important questions that yeah, were yeah. part and parcel yeah. of that interview. I mean, I still think it can happen. I think I think it's I don't know. There are a lot of reasons why I think it's harder to make that happen. First of all, with disintermediation, you know, people can talk directly to their audience. Right. Um, And also with with politicians like Donald Trump, it, it doesn't seem to matter. You know, it doesn't seem to reverberate in a way that that interview did at that moment in time. And, you know, I'd be interested in hearing why. I mean, I think. So much of this is diluted. I think so many people have become inured to some of the things he says because, as you mentioned earlier, just one thing after the other, after the other, after the other. And it's no longer shocking to people. I think it's disgusting to people and people, you know, really feel, have negative feelings towards some of the things he says and the way he conducts himself and and a lot of antipathy toward him. But I think that, that there's so much out there, it's it kind of loses its effectiveness. You know, right, if people, absolutely. you know, they don't say, wow, did you see that? Because how can you keep up with everything? Right, it's a hall of mirrors. It is a hall, I, I called it that to someone
2: the other day. It's all a hall, it's not, people are talking about, we'll talk about that in a second when we get back. But I think one of the things that that interview did is you, you were fair, but you portrayed her accurately, and, and you didn't get in her way even though people, you know, people are like, oh, she wasn't prepared, this and that. You showed what she was like. And I think it was very true. It was very true, and I think that's why it was effective. I'm but writing it does, about that a lot, you know, right now. Yeah. I just well, we're going to talk about your book when we get back. Um, oh, we're gonna so take we, have a to quick, we have to do that commercial break. Yes, yes. We have to do that commercial break. Thing. You got to pay be. the bills. God, I always pay the bills, Katie <laughs> Kirk. Um, so do you. Anyway, we're here with Katie Kirk, the host of the podcast. Next question, and back to biz. We're going to take a quick break now. We'll be back after this.
0: Searching for what to stream next. HBO Max is where all of HBO meets the greatest collection of movies, shows, and Max originals for everyone in the family. Discover something fresh to watch with new HBO series like Lovecraft Country from Jordan Peele, Misha Green, and J.J. Abrams, or The Undoing, starring Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant. You can also jump into a new Max original like Selena Gomez's new cooking show, Selena and Chef, or The Flight Attendant, a dark new comedic thriller starring Kaylee Cuoco. Ridley Scott's even producing a new series called Raised by Wolves. Whether you want to rewatch classic favorites or finally get into that show your friends have recommended a thousand times, HBO Max has something for everyone. Start streaming today and find your next favorite. Download the app or visit hbomax.com to start your free trial.
1: If you're an early adopter, you get that your devices and your connections need to be fast and help make your life better. But you might be forgetting one thing. Tech should be fair too. Fairness isn't a new idea, but it is to wireless. That's where US Cellular comes in. At US Cellular, people come first. And that means a fast, reliable connection with no hidden requirements and no activation fees. They'll even pay you back for unused data. When you upgrade to U.S. Cellular, you upgrade to FAIR. Learn more at uscellular.com.
2: We're here with Katie Couric. She is just Katie Couric, let's just say she's Katie Couric. So Katie, one of the things is you're doing is, I, I, wanna, I wanna get to your book, but you're pod, you're doing, pod, like what I was saying, when you're restless in a good way, you have this newsletter, right? Mm-hmm. With this company you have, which right. you put out. Every, I get it, it's great. Um, you have these programs you're working on for time uh, and other, the, the video programs. right? And you're doing a podcast. Besides the, uh, the, it's sort of very multimedia. You know, remember Omnimedia with Martha Stewart. But what do you? How do you look at it? Do you feel like you have to be playing all these different games, or or how do you see it right
3: now as as a media person? Well, I think I like to work, um, as I said, and I think that everything is so fragmented. So how do you reach people? You reach, you know, people. People pay attention to different things. Some people are still reading the New York Times online or even, you know, we actually get it delivered to our house. And I know, isn't it? Quaint. (laughs) quaint. uh, Very quaint. And, And some people listen to podcasts. My daughters are 24 and 28. They listen to podcasts all the time. Um. Some people like newsletters. I happen to really like newsletters, Kara. I get a lot of my news in the morning from newsletters. And uh, I must subscribe to about, you know, 10 of them at least. So I think it's really about where can you, it's meeting people where they are. How do they like to get their news information? And I think I wanted to have a diversified portfolio you know, and I have the freedom to do that because I'm not tied to a network and I'm not, you know, I've, I'm have i doing my own thing. And so that's one one of the reasons I did a podcast early on. I think I started one four years ago with my friend Brian Goldsmith. And now I'm doing one uh, by myself called Next Question, where I try to connect the dots on certain issues. And I'm doing a second one, a limited series with Bozema St. John about it's called Back to Biz with. Katie and Bose get at Biz Bo's. but, Got you know, <laughs> and and we were talking about doing business leaders and then George Floyd happened. So we just interviewed T.D. Jakes and Opal Tometi, who's one of the founders of Black Lives Matter. And I wanted, you know, I think we're all desperate to deepen our understanding and to figure out, you know, how can we make things better? And um, so I'm doing how did you I'm get do- hooked up with Bose. She worked at Uber. She worked. She's a marketing person that worked at Apple. you know, I met her uh, at, when she was at Wme. I did a a profile of her for the series I did with the skim called Getting There, because I wanted to show sort of how women, you know, like Eva Chen and all these different women kind of found their passion and and built their careers in an effort to, for skim readers to kind of, you know, if you can't see it, it can't be a type thing. And I met Bose then. We kind of clicked because she lost her husband to cancer. And I did as well, as you know. And, you know, I found her just incredibly charismatic and vibrant and interesting and soulful and full of heart. And, you know, I, I just really instantaneously connected with her. So when we were thinking about, how you know it's it's sometimes i mean i i i love listening to your podcast and you don't but i it is fun to do it with someone else yes, i think yeah, yep, you know yep yep, yep, um, yep, yep. and so i said hey do you want to try this i knew Bose was interested in kind of expanding her portfolio and doing kind of more interviews and i thought it would be good practice for her you know yeah, and a good yeah. experience for her so we just decided to do it together and, and it you know fortuitously I don't feel like I'm in a position of talking, obviously, about the Black experience in America, and I'm so grateful to have people like Bose because I called her right away and I said we we have to talk about what's going on in this country. You know, with Bob Iger, I I can't wait to have a conversation with him. But let's really. Take what's happening now, because I think that's one of the. I don't know about you, Kara, but sometimes I get a skosh frustrated without not being able to cover things that day. Yes, right. Yeah, yeah. you the and I immediacy. were both news hounds. We were. Yeah, just,
2: we've been news hounds for years. And the immediacy
3: kind of, of being able to cover something, even live, or give it perspective for people—that is one of my frustrations. But I, I think to answer your question in a very long-winded way, I think I'm just trying to provide content in all different. In a in in, in different in, ways. Yeah, is, is there any say. way
2: you you like? And then I want to talk about this book because I would I, I you know you and I have had discussions about your book. But <laughs> is there any way? Is there one that you like now, or do you feel that it's twitchy and stuff? It, or you know, do you wish we went back to the era of anchors of where you you know what you said that day mattered
3: quite a bit more? Now everyone's getting signals from everywhere, so the right. signal to noise ratio is so high. Yeah, I mean, do I. I I mean, I do think there's been something lost in the media landscape with all this fragmentation and everyone having a voice. And I think there's a wonderful aspect to that, the democratization and to not have these gatekeepers and, you know, who may be misguided and wrongheaded and what they think are priorities, you know, i.e. a lot of white men making decisions for what everybody should be focused on. But there is something... I don't know. Uh, You know, should we go back to a period, I think about Walter Cronkite, you know, and I've been reading a lot about Edward R. Murrow because I've been covering uh, the Matthew Shepard uh, story that I was very involved in. And I was thinking about, you know, objectivity versus, um, you know, advocacy and sort of that fine line journalistically, right? That that I think has really been crossed over in a very, very significant way. Absolutely. In some ways, I think it's good. In other yeah. ways, I think it can damage the credibility of that person if it's so much advocacy. And I think what it does, and it it sometimes immediately turns off the undecided person who wants to learn and make a decision for herself or himself because they see... They see the vessel and they say, oh, that person's biased or I know where that person is coming from. So they automatically discount that person. Mm-hmm. And, right. and so I think that's been really problematic for the media. But I think Donald Trump is, has thrown in a, I mean, it's hard to even make these assessments when you have someone like Donald Trump right, as president. Exactly. Because you have if to it were Mitt reaction. Romney, it would be one thing, right? Yeah. And you yeah. had you had fair uh, differences of opinions with policy. But this is about sort of the very, the very sort of the moral center of the leader of the country, right? Right, right, so- yeah.
2: Yeah, you can't not react to that walk across the park and clearing. as a, Even as a reporter, you're like, what? Like, what? what? Right. Like, you know, I think Anderson Cooper the other day was when he said he did it because he was mad about the coverage of the bunker, and he said, oh, my God, like, that's how a regular person would, what? Like, what? This. You know what I mean? Like, right. And I think it's very hard for reporters not to, at the same time, come, things like Twitter and other places have encouraged people to have a point of view, right? Right. Uh, and I think what you have to have is an informed point of view is different, a reported point of view versus just yammering on about whatever.
3: Well, I think that's, it, it's such a fine line, yeah. you know? Um yeah. It's such a fine line. And I think You know, those are not news. They're commentators. And I think we should just say it straight out. This is commentary. You know, this is not reporting. And that's okay. But like, let's get real and be honest with the audience. Right,
2: that's true. But I think the audience already knew before that there was, so it was loaded. I think this is a lot of, I think Donald Trump is actually, picked a, a wound or a, a scar very successfully that we all knew it was fixed. And I think when Fox News entered the fray, it just did it. And with, and
3: so cynically said fair and balanced when they knew what they were oh, doing. Oh, well that, that's been going on forever. But, but you know, CNN has never been sort of uh, advocacy journalism to the extent that it is today. Yes, 100%. So what do you, who do you think
2: does manage to sort of thread that needle well right now, looking across the landscape?
3: Well, I, I think the evening newscasts are still pretty down the middle, but um, you know, how much how much can you really tell people in twenty four minutes? Right, right. 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 So they mm-hmm. I think they're they're hampered by their length. I get most of my stuff from print. Honestly, mm-hmm. I I love the New Yorker, the Atlantic. I love the Times. Mm-hmm. I thank God for the New York Times every day. I really do. It's so many smart, thoughtful people. Except this one columnist that yeah. they've got. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> no, your, your column your your columns have been fantastic. And no, it's just there. It, it, it's just it gives me faith, honestly, mm-hmm. in humanity when I read intelligent thoughtful journalism. And I think it's coming out in spades right now. I think the, the quality of people's work, but I also think the degree of people's outrage. And I've been amazed at, and again, maybe I'm persuaded by the kind of content that I'm reading, but it does seem to be a quite a universal feeling that something has to be done. You know, there doesn't seem to be a lot of pushback. Now, maybe people are feeling uncomfortable and they're afraid to say something, right? But but the universality of the sentiment right now yeah. is, I think, quite extraordinary. Yeah, And I think for that reason, it does feel different. It does feel like... Uh, uh, this social movement is going to have real traction and result in real policy changes in the future. I don't know. Do you feel that way?
2: No, because I think part of the, I do a little, yes, I do. And I don't, because I think a lot of the country still is that we're not hearing, you hear from them now all the time, actually. Um, But there's a lot of the country that really is, they see those pictures and they go looters or they Mm -hmm. see those pictures. Like I had a friend who was, on uh, from a small town in Indiana, and she's on a Facebook group, and everyone on this Facebook group was like, "There's a caravan of African American people coming here to riot. You get in your homes, better get ready." And she kept saying, "What are you talking about?" And you know
3: what I mean? It was like uh, there's they, they're there's there's they're hearing different messages about disorders. No, so- I think you're totally right. You know, sometimes for just for anthropological and and uh, reasons, I watch Fox News because I'm mm-hmm. fascinated to see well, how so many Americans, machine. yeah. But I want to see what, you know, re- regardless, people are listening to it and watching it and getting their information from it. And it is it is definitely two Americas, you know, and you do wonder, will this country just split apart between, you know, people who ascribe to that and who believe that and um, and people who feel very differently? It's just Two very, very different worldviews are, and, and this is not a newsflash, but it seems like it's been brought to a, a boiling point.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think one of the things that's, that I think what it, it's been pushed on by social media, it's been pushed on by division, it's been pushed on by the filming of these of a lot of these I mean I think the film that film of George Floyd dying was so profound but there's been a dozen of these at least. Oh my gosh uh, and the and the
3: people responsible for Brianna Taylor's death haven't been right. charged and right. I saw a really disturbing um thing on on social media the the George Floyd challenge. The, mm-hmm. Have you seen that? No. It was absolutely repulsive what? where uh oh, don't even tell white me. people were putting their knees on people lying on the ground on on other white people sort of smiling and it was just it was so what? repulsive, yeah and mm. uh, and 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 so you know, for all the good you see and for all the this this yeah. this search for deeper understanding and recognition mm-hmm. and and social change, then you see things like that. and you're right. I think we live in a bubble. I mean that's <laughs> that's that's so true more now more than ever, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So
2: when we get, uh, when we get back, I want to talk about your book, because I think I'd love you to sort of reflect on what's happened, how you look at it now that you're really reflecting on, on your career, especially in the early days, and, and what do you think's coming when we get back after this with Katie Couric. Uh, we're going to take a quick break now. We'll be back after this.
1: Support for this podcast comes from State Farm. With surprisingly great rates, State Farm is the real deal when it comes to home and car insurance. State Farm agents are always ready to help you personalize your insurance plan so you can create a policy that fits your needs. You can manage your coverage, pay your bill, or even file a claim right from your phone with the State Farm mobile app. And you can always call one of the State Farm agents in neighborhoods across the country. Get a great rate without sacrificing great service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
2: We're... Here with Katie Couric. She always laughs at me when I... Well, I just like the way you say my name. By the I way, my roots, are,
3: my, my roots are so gray. Me too. Do you see my... You don't see my, I do. mine. I do. I see yours. Yes, yes. They're quite gray. Do you I'm see getting, mine? I'm
2: having them colored today. Yes, they're very nice. Thank you for showing them to me. <laughs> um, my son was like, you should go gray. I'm like, no, it's not happening. That's I that's thought all. about it, and no. then I thought... I've done it mm, before. I've done really? it before.
3: It's not good. No. It's not. I don't like... It. I, 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 look, I,
2: I respect people who do it, but not
3: me. Thank you. I think you have to, uh, sometimes you have to make up for it by putting on more makeup.
2: Oh, yeah, that's me, Katie. That's my whole look. That's my whole thing. All
3: right, I want to talk about this
2: book you're doing. Let's stop talking about our hair, which is atrocious. Let's talk a- about our hair. Our hair. Um, so I'm amazed how much darker my hair is than the color. That's what I'm interested in. Um, so talk to me about this book. So you, you know what I want you to call it, of course, Anchor Monster. But tell me about looking back on it because you're really delving into sort of, you've had such an interesting history, but I mean- you've been through a lot of places. How, when you look back at it, what are some of the themes that are emerging for you?
3: Well, I, you know, I'm trying to sort of tell my story. God, I I mean, I hope someone other than my daughters will, and maybe they (laughs) even will find it interesting. I'm just, you know, I've had this unexpected life, ergo, the title, unexpected in so many ways. I mean, the idea that I would ever, be a successful on uh, in broadcast news was just, honestly, just wasn't, didn't seem possible when I was younger. And uh, and I think, you know, I, I worked, so when, when I look at the, the period of time, Kara, that I was, that I've been in the workplace, so I graduated from college in 79. So it's really, in some ways, the history, selectively, of the last 40 years. And so I'm using kind of that as a backdrop you know, to talk about all these different things, whether it's gay rights, for example, when I covered Matthew Shepard's murder, or, you know, I'm just re watching the Anita Hill tr- hearings, uh, uh, the Clarence Thomas confirmation hearings. And, you know, it's just amazing how prescient so many of the things she said and how they foreshadow Christine Blasey Ford and mm-hmm. me too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm just kind of taking big moments in that I've been able to cover 9-11. You know, I went and I I interviewed five of the people who I was so affected by, after, uh, you know, when I was covering that story to find out where they were now, how their lives have changed. I talked to this really nice young man named Kevin Hickey. We had him on the Today Show after his father, who was a firefighter in Queens, was killed and we took him to the uh, Yankee Stadium and he met Joe Torrey and Jason Giambi. He was only 10 years old. It was fo- so fun and interesting to talk to him because I think as a journalist, and you know this, you know these stories kind of flash by and you have this very intimate connection with some of these people. And they're very vulnerable. Yeah, they tell you their life story, whether it was when I was covering Columbine or, Mm -hmm. you know, Trisha Miley, who was the Central Park jogger, and we know how much that story changed. Mm -hmm. And then you lose touch with them and you never really hear from them again. And, uh, you know, it was really interesting for me to just touch base with some of these people and, and let readers know what happened, especially given the fact this book is going to come out right before the 20th anniversary of 9-11. So it's really kind of a reflection on my personal story, but as I said, against the backdrop of of some of the biggest um, you know events in American history. They say journalism is the first draft of history and I was really fortunate. And now some of it has to be rewritten with the passage of time. So, um, you know, it's just been, it's been A, you know, It's hard. It's a ton of work. But it's also the ideal time during a pandemic to write a book because, um, you know, you're forced to really sit down and get down to brass tacks. And, you know, there's a lot about the feminist movement. I've always been a strong feminist. And my experiences at CBS were really challenging as the first female solo anchor, but also as an outsider to a very insular culture. Um, so it's been interesting, and it's been—I don't know. It, you know, I dream about it. I think about it all the time. Right? It's, yeah, books it's very cathartic, books and so I talk lot. about you know losing my husband to cancer, which was mm-hmm. an incredibly traumatizing experience, as you can imagine, and yes. raising two girls on my own mm-hmm. with the help of an extraordinary. Uh, which I call my wife, Lori, Lori Beth, who, you know, I really feel like I owe such a debt of gratitude, an essential worker who was essential in every sense of the word, who I always have valued so much. Um, so anyway, blah, blah, blah. Not blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Are you going to uh,
2: talk about uh, the Today Show a lot? Do you wish you were still there? What would your life be like if you were still the anchor of the Today Show?
3: I don't wish I were still there. Um, I do think it's an incredible platform, but as, you know, media has diversified, it's kind of less influential, I think, than it once was. I still think it's plenty influential and it's a big big audience. And I think Savannah and Hoda uh, do a great job. You know, I think sometimes I'm watching interviews I did and I'm just astounded by how long they are. You know, in response to people's shortened attention span because of, you know, the, the media environment now, you know, there are very few interviews. I mean, my interview with Anita Hill my, went on uh, before she testified. I think it might have been 10 minutes. I, I looked at an interview I did with Orrin Hatch and Patrick Leahy. Not only was the first interview like seven minutes, we asked them to come back in the second half hour. And I talked to them for like 10 minutes more. I mm-hmm. mean, that just would be unheard, yeah, unheard of. of. And I do think that I wish they could have the luxury of having deeper conversations, but it's really difficult. And you know, they pay attention to the minute by minute ratings and they see when there's drop off. And, and so they're, I think, prisoners of, of a shortened attention span in some ways, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. no, listen, I'm glad the, the uh, baton has been passed and I'm doing other interesting things. You know, you can't, can't stay there forever. I was there for fifteen years. I left in two thousand six. I don't really want to, you know, have the record of being the Today Show co-anchor for thirty years, Carol. Right? Know? Yeah.
2: <laughs> Why not? That would be interesting. <laughs> I don't know. Are you? You had talked before about the morning show and stuff like that. Are you going to address a lot of that in the book, or do you feel? I don't feel, know. I'm you not shouldn't sure. be on the hook for discussing this forever. I I, I was talking to someone about
3: it, um, but do you feel like you need to about the? You mean the the. um, the Jennifer Aniston show. Yeah,
2: yeah. The Jennifer and, and 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 your experience with Matt Lauer. Yeah, well,
3: I am gonna I am gonna be talking about that because I think a lot of people are interested. They are. I'm and and in, hearing about that. So mm-hmm. obviously, that's something I've spent a lot of time thinking about and writing about, and people can read about. Right. Okay. So we're not going to say what to <laughs> I'll wait and listen to it. I'm glad you are addressing it. Did you, you oh, did address the show. You did address the show, didn't you, on a recent interview? Oh, I think I just said basically that, that I thought, I thought, you know, it was interesting. I mean, it's very hard. Like what if somebody did a, sh- it wasn't really about me. I think actually it was a, a little composite. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. I think it was really a composite. I was sort of like a little Jessica Savage, a little, uh, uh,
2: there was a bunch of, Anchor.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think when when anything is done about the industry you've been in for, you know, a really long time that they don't always get it right. But I think a lot of the things, some of the things that they did, I thought they did really well. I think the damage that's done to people emotionally and psychologically from that kind of workplace abuse and treatment and uh, callous cavalier behavior I thought that was really well done. I think my only point was, you know, and and I think I think it's hard to assess this because when you when the show opens, they're dealing with a crisis. But at least in my personal experience, the Today Show is it's a really fun environment where people are you know really have fun working together. It's very. Um, you know, familiar and familial in terms of the relationships people have in a in a positive way, you know, and really fun. And there's a lot of crazy, funny, fun stuff. And I felt like the tone was mostly uber serious. And as I said, you can understand why, because the show was going through a crisis when it opens. But I wish they had captured, you know, some of the, the, the lighter kind of more humorous aspects of of that whole milieu, if you yeah. will. Well, milieu.
2: I like yes. that word, Katie. <laughs> so one of the things that that I remember from some of these tapes from today's show is the famous one of you talking about this internet thing that was happening, <laughs> online services. which is my favorite. The haircut, oh every clothes. Oh my god! That the, the, I, you the, know,
3: you know what's amazing when you look at the speaking these of videos, hairos, Kara is. People used to wear really big clothes. Big Everything clothes. was yeah big. You had a lot of shoulders. Nothing going was on there. I mean, like I was looking at Brian Gumpel's lapel dur- yeah. during what and, and it's it's humongous. And even the suits <laughs> and 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 I mean. You should have seen some of the, the outfits Ann Curry and I wore. I mean, yeah, it was, Oh, I saw they, some of them. They I were remember. so
2: funny. And they were so baggy. They're, like cl- they're clown. They're like clownish. They're, I know. They're, they're, I yeah, know. it's really funny. In that one, it's fantastic, including the haircut. I love all your haircuts. Oh, my God. Haircuts. Well,
3: that, that was a Burberry sweater my husband had given me and yeah. Jay. and. I, you know, it's so funny. I look at it, and it honestly looks like three sizes too big. Yeah, and shoulder pads. It is pads. such. It's there's so ballooning. Sh- oh, the shoulder pads are yeah. insane. Man, I hate shoulder. I hated shoulder pads so badly. I um, liked them because I felt like they made my waist look smaller.
2: Oh, I don't. You were fine. You were looking fine then. <laughs> All right, you look fine now. Um, so, talk a little bit about uh, the inter- the impact of of that, because you were one of the few people who ran over to Yahoo. You know what I mean? You did. Yeah. Like you did. I didn't. No one else of your I don't want to say ilk, but there, there nobody did that of of I know. Had the experience that was, you did. Yeah, why, what, yeah, why do you think I did that, Gera? I don't know. You ran into a fire. Like this will be interesting. <laughs> I told you not well, to. You know, I. You know, on its surface, it's like one of those things. The resume seems good. Uh, I should date this person, and then it's really not the resume. Well, wasn't.
3: you know, I think. You know, I had kind of the had giant to sum it. of money you received. Perhaps well, I don't know. You know, <laughs> I think because I had done. Two of the biggest jobs in television, right? Yeah. Yeah. And sort of, well, do you go back? I know that Andy kind of asked if I wanted to be on MSNBC at one point. Right. And right. I think that that I was excited about creating something. You know, yeah. believe yeah, it or not, I'm actually semi-creative. I thought that it would feed this kind of entrepreneurial bug. Yeah, you, I have had an, you do have an entrepreneurial because bug. Because I do. thought, well, I could take this big organization. And, you know, Biz Stone says, you know, find a need and fill it. And I remember saying to Marissa, you know, do you want to feature stories about the boy who lived on ramen noodles for 13 years? Or do you want to actually create really good content and be known for something other than pipes? Do you want to be known for what you're pushing through the pipes? But... As you know, Karen, I'm going to call you when I really write about Yahoo about the business model. Okay. Yeah. It just was, it was antithetical to the business model, right? Yes, 100%. Because they were being paid to carry content from other other creators. And so, what would be really, what would really bug she us? She had is, aspirations that yeah, she couldn't keep. She yeah. Well, aspir- I think they never put a true media person in charge. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think that honestly in, in They didn't look, want to. They didn't they, why not? they they thought they wanted to. There's a difference between thinking you want to do something and actually doing
2: it because it's it, cuz media is hard and expensive and it doesn't pay off like other things.
3: Yeah. That's why. And it was run by the product people. You know, right, they were exactly. they had the they had Yes. the say on everything. So, of course, they didn't give a rat's ass about, you know, good stories. They just wanted No. To create the next widget or platform yeah. or yeah. whatever, right? Right, hundred percent. And I think
2: that's that's the problem te- technology finds itself in. Just like at Facebook right now, you have a public policy person leading product development. You have big societal issues being decided by someone who never met a history course that he finished, um, and so or, or anything like that. And so I think can that's I ask the you about that? Sure. I'm, I'm curious sure.
3: about Mark Zuckerberg because sure. I, yeah, I wrote I, I wrote a big column today that's not very pleasant. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good. I haven't read that yet, but yeah, I noticed like that on Twitter that you've been, you've been. Like call them the Susan Collins of the internet. But go right, ahead. right. But right. maybe now the Lisa Murkowski after the quotes today. Whatever. Oh
2: well, yeah. B- well, what you know, Mattis is right and correct and
3: overdue. No, 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 like, no. I was just, I was just thinking, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski. Who else could we compare them oh, to? Oh, lots,
2: all of them, all well, of them, the whole um,
3: the crew. So, so if you were Mark Zuckerberg, what would you do? I would set rules and just live
2: with it, live with it and do stuff and 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 not to have these different rules for different people. I'm a firm believer in the 14th Amendment, equal rights under the law. And so if you have a thing about incitement of violence, carry it out, If, if even if it's the president. Like, don't make rules that you're not going to enforce or and not making rules at all means you should be subject to um uh, some sort of regulation and not, I don't mean speech regulation, but in that in that case, liability just by some, the fact that they have no liability is an issue. So I think I, I don't know. You know, I do probably what Mark Zuckerberg is doing, which I control everything and I get to say what goes and I pretend that I don't want to when, in fact, I won't let go of power. So if he's not, he's either going to have to let go of power or say I'm running this place. He does he wants to do both and it's a really weird. Concept. And what about Jack Dorsey's decisions and how he's well, handled it? It's a baby it. step. It's a ba- it took him years, right? Mm-hmm. Come on. That went on forever. It was like I said today it was like giving a, di- uh, a kid sugar for years and wonder why he's diabetic and screaming all the time. Mm-hmm. Like guess why he's behaving like this. It was only going to get worse and I think as the election nears he they realize this is just going to get worse and worse we might as well set a precedent right now even though the precedent should have been set at the beginning of the administration, yeah, um, but you know, th- th- here we are. Here we are, and I do think these these media comp- these social media companies, are built for destruction and engagement and enragement. And so, uh, you know, destruction of media, destruction of commerce, destruction. I, I think they they
3: don't care what they eat. And so they just do it. But this regul—this push for regulation that was sort of happening about, what, six months ago has kind of receded, right? Well, that's because I mean- they're helpful to us in the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you know, we've talked about that. They're going to only
2: get bigger. And I think that's really going to be the problem is how big are we going to let them get? And you know what? They're not different. They like to act like they're different from other people, but they're no different than the robber, the, the, the robber barons or the train people or the car people or... Uh, at and T, they're no different, and that's how they're going to end up. That's where it's all going to end in the same place. It always end up. Although they have more money, they're the wealthiest people on the planet in the history of the planet, and they'll 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 put up a, a good fight. I'll how, tell you that. Have you interviewed Cheryl lately about all this stuff? I have not. She's been silent, and I'm loath to text her. Mm-hmm. I have to. I, I interviewed I
3: her at that Vanity Fair summit. Yeah, it and- was
2: fantastic.
3: And uh, Katie, I was channeling was t- my inner Kara Swisher. <laughs> you were fantastic. I think she was not expecting that coming. I think Well, she I was did not. tell her, "Listen, I'm going to have to, re-, you know, because we're, we'll we're talk about Yeah, we'll talk about,
2: you know, what you how you look at tech when you're thinking about all this. You know, as you're writing the book, you're writing it into a whole different media landscape that's dominated by tech. Yeah, in, in, not just in not just in news, but entertainment and everything else. What do you mean? How do I think of it? What, what? How do you when you look at these companies. Sixty percent of people get their news from Facebook, um, not from the Today Show or the CBS Evening News or anything else. Uh, there's all this this information across these platforms. It's a hall of mirrors. You don't know what's right. You have bad actors on these platforms. There is no ability for consumers to understand. There's no the difference. governor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no governor. So where do you think it's going to go? Or, like when you look at like the NBCs of the world, the CBSs. What? Do you, where do you think they're going to go?
3: I mean, I hope they stick around because I think they have standards and, uh, you know, everybody sometimes falls short, but they have very specific standards about how they cover the news. They have experienced people. They have editors. They have all the people who are part of the system to make sure that information is accurate. Right. And uh, so I, I pray that uh, you know, I'm delighted that the New York Times and the Washington Post are all thriving right now, thanks to, uh, you know, their their change in business model and a big infusion of cash by Jeff Bezos. I hope Time magazine are, will benefit from Mark Benioff. Mm-hmm. So I, I hope those publications will continue to exist. You know, I everybody's been trying to figure out Facebook. Right. You know, is there a good housekeeping seal of approval when something has been vetted? But. You know, Tristan Harris, who I know you know, Mm -hmm, who studies this stuff, there's so much misinformation. And by the time it's corrected, my daughter's working for a project with Reuters where they actually – evaluate information on Facebook and then they mm-hmm. write about it and how true it is and they vet it. And But, mm-hmm. you know, by the time that kind of process is in place, it's been read by how many millions of right. people, uh, right. right? And it's also in silos, so many groups and silos that you're never going to find it. Right. That's and, one of the, and, and, one of the and, things. And there's so much distrust, like even if it is corrected, they'll think, oh, well, who's doing the correction? And, yes, that's you right. You know, I mean, I have just had a more mess. arguments
2: about fact-checking. They're like, it's censorship. I said, it's fact-checking. Like there's a difference between, I guess, if you're not very well educated, you could consider them the same thing, but they're not the same thing. No, you know, I, I think this controversy around Donald Trump's tweets is fascinating. It's like I they're think so just, too. they're just lies, and they're and the fact that they're not they're, they they didn't even say misleading. They didn't they said potentially misleading. They're being very careful, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or violent and could result in violence. You know, the loot, looting and shooting one. What do you think is going to happen in the election? I don't know. I'm asking you. I don't know. I didn't cover politics. You did, Katie. You're the well, political.
3: You're the you Sarah
2: Palin slayer. Come on. <laughs> I think it's hard to know. I think What that, would you
3: do now if you were doing—if you were at a big network covering it? How would you cover it? You Cover the election? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think probably the same way I always did. I would—I mean, I think it's been <laughs> challenging because of the pandemic. But, um, you know, I would get as many voices as possible to— you know, it, it, it is kind of baffling how the Republicans in the Senate just will not step on the president's toes at all. You know, I, I think Casey Hunt did a, a montage of trying to ask senators, Lisa Mikulski, I don't know if that's the quote you're referring to. She said, this is not the country I know. But everyone was asking about uh, Trump's walking over to St. John's Church and 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 what happened to those peaceful demonstrators. And they All walked by and nobody like where is, if not outrage, where is actually the response of any kind? So I don't know that the country is so hopelessly polarized and bifurcated. I think I would just get as many voices as I could talking about these important issues. But as I said, in 24 minutes, that's really hard. Right. I think I would urge a lot more specials. I think on, mm-hmm. you know, they do a good job on MSNBC. I think my friend Nicole Wallace does a good job yep. and Brian yep. Williams. And, um, you know, I think Rachel is brilliant. Uh, but obviously, I think preaching to the choir <laughs> yeah, an and uh, the same with Lawrence O'Donnell um, and, and Chris Hayes. I think they're all really smart. Um, but it's it's, It's niche, right? It's niche journalism. So I wish I knew the answer to that, but. All right, let me ask you a final question. You have
2: an interview with Donald Trump. What would be your first Katie Couric question?
3: (laughs) Oh, gosh. I know you do a lot of prep. I know you're you're famous for prep. I think I would kind of have the same philosophy I had when I interviewed Governor Palin. Although I think it's a very different environment now. And you know, Madeline Albright gave me the best advice before I interviewed Sarah Palin. She said, "Let her talk, let her talk," because I think the tendency, especially if you do live broadcast television, is like dead air is the kiss of death. You know, you're just like it's almost it, it almost gives you like agita. And so, I think that I would start by by really trying to understand his motives, and I think I would point out how damaging. So much of the things that, but I think it tonally, I would try to be not super confrontational. I think I would almost be like a therapist if I interviewed President Trump and really get him to try to be introspective if that's at all possible.
2: Yeah. because uh, Esther Perel, who is a therapist, said you can't uh, therapize a narcissist,
3: but go ahead. Yeah, maybe you can't, you know, yeah. maybe you can't, yeah. but it would be interesting to try And I think the interplay would be fascinating to be a part of and to observe. So I think that's probably the approach I would take because he clearly does not respond well to criticism. I mean, newsflash and the understatement of the year. So I think I would really actually try to gently prod him into considering sort of thought, you know, if, if it's all possible, uh, other points of view. Okay. Um, that's what I think. That's the approach I think I would take. How about you?
2: I would, my first, I would be confrontational, completely confrontational. Mm-hmm. I would say he doesn't like women that much, it seems like. He gets more angry at women, women of color particularly. Uh, I think I would, my first question, there's one of two. First, one would be, I'd really like to know why you lie so much, what, what is going on there? Or whatever happened with your parents to make you this way? Mm-hmm. Well, that's more of the therapeutic approach. But like, did your parents not hug you enough? Because I think that's, I don't know, something that would set him off, like that would get
3: uh, would get him going. I think it would be, you and know. you have great footage of him walking out of your interview yes, after yes, two maybe questions. Or maybe
2: not, or maybe not. You know, one time my mom was driving me crazy about something. It's the best question I ever asked. Or the thing I said was my mom was right, you know, everybody has their parent problems and stuff like that. And my mom was on something that had nothing to do with me. And I turned to her and I said, you know, both your parents are dead and they're not going to love you anymore. You're not getting more love from them if you didn't get enough, which it seems like. But I can't tell. And she was like, and she she was silent because I think I was like, I have you. I see what happened. And it was really, it made her reflective for just one second, Katie, unfortunately. <laughs> but it was a really interesting thing. And she was like, you know, it made her think. And I think I'd find a question like that with him that would, maybe the penny will never drop with someone like that. But there is a there is a question with everyone where the penny drops. Yeah. And they can't avoid you. They can't, you you see them and you know them. And I think the very best interviews like you often uh, get to that moment. With someone. But I,
3: I I sometimes think People don't really divulge much. I mean, the confrontational approach obviously is one way to go, although you see that in mm-hmm. White House press briefings every day and you don't get much from that, right? So I think my goal would make him feel comfortable enough to actually, all right actually let's say something. Let's, that, try, that to him, be let's hey, try to get I'll, him, Katie. Let's try to get him. That would be fun, the two of us. I think that's very unlikely. To <laughs> What do you think very, of his new press secretary?
2: I feel like I'm caught in the Handmaid's Tale, the new season. That's what I feel like. I don't know what else to say.
3: Hey, I by just, the way, I was just thinking about this. I know your your dad died when you were, were young. Yeah, when you were yeah. 11, is that right? Or five, five. Five. Oh, gosh. Mm-hmm. Well, I was thinking about this, Kara, because I was lucky. You know, I had my parents. My mom died mm-hmm. at ninety-one. My dad at ninety. Mm-hmm. But I'm looking at all my dad's old articles from the Atlanta yeah. Constitution and mm-hmm. United Press. My yeah. mom kept scrapbooks of his oh, articles. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. And you know, you should interview your mom. I, I, I have, I have, and and have. And, 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 yeah. and but make sure you you have it preserved because I so wish. You know, my girls interviewed my parents and asked them about Mm -hmm. the Depression when they were little for for a school project and about, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, all kinds of things when my dad was in World War II. But I wish so much, you know, my dad covered Herman Talbidge and Lester Mm -hmm. Maddox, the segregationist when he worked for the Constitution. I just wish so much that I had really, really, really done like a three or four hour interview. So for all you all listening out there, if you're lucky enough to have your parents still around, interview them talk to them for a couple of hours about their life experiences cuz it's such a gift to to have yourself and then to give your children
2: yeah that is a really good piece of advice and we're going to
3: end on that katie Couric. okay katie your panton i like how you say my name because you really do the hard sound katie Couric. <laughs>
2: We are going to get on stage together and interview someone. Yeah, Keep that would be down.
3: fun. Keep people down. So why don't you call the White House and see if uh, the president will do an interview with it'll us? Be and like we'll that. try each. We'll do our, our respective approaches. Yes, we'll do. I'll be. It'll be like that Sandra
2: Bullock, uh, Melissa McCarthy movie. Like that's how you know the softer and then the harder. We'll see, I never we'll see. saw
3: that.
2: Uh, you are never soft either. Anyway, Kate, you should see that movie. It's very funny. I would recommend Pandemic watching. Anyway, Katie, thank you for coming on the show. You can follow me on Twitter. I've got to read this out. You can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. My executive producer Eric Anderson is at Erica America. My producer Eric Johnson oh, Erica, is at Hey Erica America. Love yeah, her. Yeah, I know she worked for you. My producer Eric Johnson is at Hey Hey ESJ. Katie, where can people find you online?
3: Well, I'm a total Instagram freak, so they you can are. follow me on Instagram, which I'm really trying to use my my platform, Thoughtfully, but also Facebook and Twitter at Katie Couric. And I have a YouTube channel and my podcast is Next Question or Back to Biz. And you can sign up for my newsletter by going to katiecouric.com. See, how do you like? Nice. Well done, Katie. And now soon
2: to be in VR. That's what she's going to be doing. Soon to be VR and then robotic. And that's where she's going. If you like this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you share it with a friend. And make sure to check out our other podcasts, Pivot, Reset, Recode Media, and Land of the Giants. Just search for them in your podcasting app of choice or tap a link in the show notes. Thanks also to our editor, Joel Robbie. Special thanks to squadcast.fm. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Monday. Tune in then.
1: HBO Max brings all of HBO to your fingertips, plus an epic list of new Max originals. Whether you're into animation, classic movies, or binge-worthy series, HBO Max's suggested collections are curated by real humans, not robots, so you find the right thing to watch every time. With thousands of options for you and the family to choose from, it's the streaming platform of your dreams. HBO Max, where HBO needs so much more. Start streaming now at hbomax.com.